0: Welcome into the newest edition of the Justin Times Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And this week's episode, we'll be discussing the NFL Week 4 and a lot of news going down last week. We'll be discussing NFL Week 5 and previewing it, along with giving kind of live updates to the Thursday night football game. We'll have our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will touch on the WNBA. And we will have, as always, to end the show, Jack's Hot Take. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the social media handle at J Sports on all your favorite me- social medias, whether that be Twitter, uh, now known as X, Instagram, Threads, Facebook, or TikTok for live updates and breaking news. Now, as always, sit back and get ready to learn something. Show, Just in Time Sports Podcast, Season 4, Episode 28, coming to you on a Friday morning by the time you hear this, but recording this Thursday evening, uh, the, the Thursday night football game between the Commanders and the Bears have yet to kick off, they're actually doing the warm-ups, final warm-ups and stuff now, so we'll keep you guys fairly updated with that, uh, so we're Kirk Herbstrick do uh, NFL football games, but we'll keep you guys fairly updated on that. As it happens But welcome into the show As you guys heard in the intro We have NFL uh, Last week and this week We have Jack's Pack our Slightly less successful Although still positive uh, NFL betting segment We have the WNBA Has some huge news coming out of it um, And then we'll have our Jax Hot Take but Let's jump right into uh, Some unfortunate news uh, Dick Buckus, uh, legendary member of the Chicago Bears Um Man, model toughness, model NFL citizen, uh, one of the truly good guys in the NFL, especially from that time period, um, has passed away. So the Chicago Bears, um, hours before a big Thursday night football game, the entire organization is in mourning um, because Dick Buckus has passed away. Um, Really kind of an interesting timing, uh, unfortunately, because... The Bears are coming off that they lost. The Bears are coming off Justin Fields' most successful game as a quarterback. Um, Career high in completion, 28. Career high in yards, over 330. Career high in touchdowns with four. Uh, Ultimately, they failed against the Broncos. Um, But coming off that kind of rolling into the momentum um, of the uh, Justin Fields football game that he played, his best game as a pro. And then, um, get the unfortunate news many hours ago. Uh, that Dick Buckus uh, has passed away. Uh, he was born in Chicago, two time All American in college, third overall, picked by the Bears in 65. Uh, played nine seasons and literally became the, like, what it means to be a middle linebacker in the NFL. Um, passed away at 80. Uh, he will always be remembered as just this all around tough, like I said, this tough guy. Uh, you know he's quoted as saying some men were meant to be lawyers and doctors i was meant to play football um and so he was just this physical guy two-time player of the year hall of famer um just all around said great human um and so the nfl world is mourning the loss of dick buckus so we're gonna take a couple second moment of silence for mr buckus No, thank you for those of you who helped observe it. Uh, but moving into uh, stuff, we got some big news out of there. So normally we recap some of the games. We'll get to them. But we had some big news personnel-wise out of the NFL this week. Uh, Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup's uh, windows to practice both were opened. Um, and that's pretty major news uh, for those of you who don't know. So when a person gets placed on IR, the injury reserve prior to the season, they can be activated. So it used to be the IR back. When I was growing up, and I said, I'm not that old, I'm only 26. But in my youth, um, and being in high schools all day, kind of gets me a little uh, aged quickly. But in my youth, um, once the player went to IR, that was it. There was no coming back. It didn't matter if they got put on IR in week two, and they probably held up week 11, their season was over. Um, and so people, a lot of times, there was any there was 30% chance you could come back during the season, they would have to keep you on the roster and just have you being active every week. Um, and so it would get to situations where if a team had a really bad injury luck year, they would have to IR people that they knew were coming back, but they needed the roster twice. You know, they couldn't go into a game. I think in the NFL you legally can't go into a game with less than, I think, 40 players or 42 players. And so if you had 15 guys out with injuries on a 53-man roster, that's only 38 so then you would have to ir people it was a really weird and get all kind of waivers and it was just a weird time period as far as how stuff had to be um managed as far as injuries because you couldn't just say like this guy's hurt i'm gonna use his roster spot for this healthy person you have to keep the healthy the health per, hurt person on your roster not have space for the healthy person it was a disaster um so a couple of years ago not too long ago um Kind of use everything based on COVID, so right around COVID time, <laughs> um Matt flew is three and eighteen as the Bears head coach. I'm sorry, I, that I know Justin Fields only won five games as the pro, but three and eighteen startled me. um But anyway, um so having I think right around COVID time, the right before, or right after, the NFL changed the rule where you can do designated to return, so you can only return so many players in a year. Um, at first, now they just have short-term IR where you can return. I think it's still the same-ish rule where you can return so many players in a year um, from injury reserve. But it allows teams to, okay, like, for instance, Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup. both had injuries entering the season, but everyone knew they weren't seizing any injuries. Um, everybody knew that they weren't seizing any injuries, and so no one was really looking for them um, to be out for the season. In the years past, they would have had to stay on the roster and just be inactive every week. Now, they were able to use Taylor's and Cup's roster spot, respectively, to get players for their team that can actually help them to play, um, even if it was just to get them on the practice squad. You know, even if practice squad got up, make him inactive, and then put another guy on the practice squad. Anything just to keep the regular flow, of the 69, 70-ish bodies, Uh, You can have actively signed to a team counting the practice squad. And so... um, But in order to do that, you have to activate... In order to bring... so Speeding forward, now that we got the history. uh, Speeding forward, getting into Taylor and Cup, specifically, there's a period of activation. So, you go to the league and say, hey, we're going to open up, stay with the Rams, Cooper Cup's practice window. Cooper Cup, at that point, then has 21 days... To be activated to the roster from IR or he's out for the season. So, and there's not coming back. It's just like the old world. once he's out, he's out. Um, and so that is huge because teams don't open it unless that person's either playing that week or they're a week away. You never want to do it two weeks out. Or you never want to say, man, we hope I can clear him for that third weekend. Like, you never want that situation. You either want him playing that week so like Cooper is activated on Tuesday there's potential he plays Sunday or worse come to worst, he plays the following Sunday you know it, it's a situation where you, by day 14 he should be on the field um because if it gets to you know your a uh, pool tweak or something you know from practice and him not being able to pass the physical to get on the field away from him being out for the season just because you mismanaged his practice window Um, so that's the kind of stuff you got to take into consideration. Um, but Cooper cup, um, flat out to me, looks ready to produce. Um, he sees Puka Nakua pretty much running a similar location, uh, to him in the offense and Puka Nakua is breaking all kind of first four games in history. First three games in history. Uh, fastest person to this, fastest person to that. I think Puka's on pace for 2,200 yards receiving, which ironically is what Tyree Hill wanted to do. Um, and so he's seeing that he's looking like, well, I think I'm better than Puka Nakua. So if I know I can get back to my spot, then I'm going to, you know, be able to dominate um, the way Puka is doing and potentially even better because I don't have um, th- I have better ability than Puka um, and more experience running the system. Jonathan Taylor, on the other hand, is kind of in a different scenario. Jonathan Taylor, uh, when asked about what he wants to do in Indianapolis, responded with, I'm here for now. Um, And that was kind of a double shot, kind of a two-edged sword. On one edge, literally, he's there for now. He's going to focus on this season, try to help this team. Anthony Richardson is currently a little better than I thought he would be. Um, He's going to get there, try to help this team produce and win. He's there for now. The other side of it is the reason why I wasn't here to begin with, more than likely, anything is the fact that I was negotiating a contract and the contract extensions fell through so literally I'm here for now it was you know it was a very it was a double edged sword kind of answer you picked up what he was putting down if you were paying any kind of attention to the Colts' offseason so very interesting um, kind of reactions to their return you know you have Rams fans excited over the fact that Cooper Cup is coming back and saying that him and Nakua are gonna you know carry them and carry their offense and Stuff like that, and then you have on the cold side, you know, Jonathan Taylor and kind of acting kind of mixed because um I've said it before, billionaires have tricked thousandaires into being angry at millionaires. Um, so the owners have tricked the fans to be angry at the players behind trying to get money. Um and you know, they want the millionaires who have an earning window at max to 45. Let's push it all the way to the max at 45 to give the owner who has way more earning potential dollar wise for way longer uh, a discount and so that's why I always kind of say like you know and you say stuff like oh owners have tricked the fans and the and you're like well you know that person has low issues of a team and I kind of break it down financially that billionaires have tricked thousandaires into going against millionaires in the negotiation um, and so it's incredibly uh, interesting how those negotiations go into the public eye but that's pretty much where we are It's the fact that, you know, the fans Again, are a little bit anti-Jonathan Taylor Because they're saying you could have signed If they in the camp, you probably wouldn't be hurt We'd probably be a little bit better right now Because they're just looking at it from a team perspective uh, Randy Gregory uh, One year and some change Into a five year $70 million contract uh, Great pass, Justin Fields Hey, yo, he is Dotting right now with DJ Moore, um, two beautiful passes in, uh, down the left sideline both times. Uh, bear strike first and Thursday Night Football, but um, anyway, like I'm saying, one year and some change into a five-year, seventy million dollar contract, uh, free agent contract that he signed away from down with the Broncos to get away from the Dallas Cowboys. Even though they had pretty much matching deals, the Broncos had a little bit better language in it, uh, or he's more comfortable with. But anyway, the Broncos have released him. Now for Justin, well, now for not Justin Fields, for Randy Gregory, it's not a bad deal. He played about 15 games. Got going to get 28 million dollars of guaranteed money from it. So a little over a million dollars a game. It's not a bad break at all. However, um, now he has to figure out where he lands his next spot. Uh, a couple fan bases have been really active. Dallas is saying come back. Their fan base. New Orleans um, has also thrown out their name into the ring. Um, as well so uh he'll have suitors i just don't think i think that was his last big attempt at a payday i feel like he should have went a little bit more uh in depth into getting some more guaranteed money or at least try to make it work in the denver a little bit more but ultimately and unfortunately for him and the broncos it fell through and right before they busted out those snow cap helmets too i just gotta be a little disappointed i'm not gonna lie um jc jackson has been traded to, well, back to the New England Patriots. Um, basically, in exchange for, six, for 2025 late round picks, uh, it was a deal that honestly was one of those. It didn't work. Same thing with Randy Gregory. It wasn't a good fit. Uh, J. C. Jackson and two season Patriots, 17 interceptions, was called Mr. INT, and uh, took a five-year, I believe, it was 82 and a half. Uh, the number called the number sticks in my head correctly. Million dollar deal. With the Los Angeles Chargers to be their number one corner. Um, and ultimately, it just didn't work. Um, he looked out of sorts from day one, just like he wasn't comfortable in whatever the Chargers were asking him to do. Um, and again, one year and some change into it, he became a healthy and active. Uh, the Patriots step in, um, they send a 2025 seventh rounder. The Chargers send a 2010 J.C. Jackson a 2025 six-rounder, so the higher pick, and they agree to pay uh, most of the remaining of his salary. The Patriots are only responsible for $1.5 million of the $9.33 million left owed to Jackson this season. The rest of the contract stays intact. What that means is there's no guaranteed money after season. Uh, the season. The Chargers paid most of it up front or in the first already of the contract. The rest of the guaranteed money runs out this year. There's no guaranteed money left on the rest of the contract. For New England, it becomes a literal no-hurt bet. We upgrade it. We got an extra 6 round draft pick in 2025. We're only paying him $1.5 million. If he's as washed as he looked in Los Angeles, we release him, and we only have paid him $1.5 million. Or if he's amazing, we can renegotiate some of the guarantees or we can reinstitute some of the guarantee language into the contract, rip, up, rip it up and make a whole new contract, and... Um, just whatever is required to keep him if he's amazing in the New England system um, because that ultimately look like it's what he's supposed to be. He's just comfortable with whatever Belichick is putting out there um, and so he was traded back to the uh, New England Patriots. Speaking of the Patriots, they're down Christian Gonzalez more than likely for the rest of the season with a shoulder injury. Uh believe it's a torn, a torn labrum and they're out at least about two months With Matthew Judon being out, so yes, they get J.C. Jackson back, but they lose my candidate for Rookie of the Year and Christian Gonzalez, Um, and then they lose uh, Matthew Judon, who had was kind of starting to make a case for a Dark Horse Defensive Player of the Year uh, nomination. But going into the games that happened yesterday, um, I start off with the Houston Texans and their, um, absolute stud of a rookie quarterback, CJ Stroud. He is one of two people that's joining all these lists and, um, accolades and stats that I was referring to that, uh, it's just like I was saying about Puka Nakua. He's the youngest to do this and the first of that and the fastest of this. CJ Stroud is, you know, one of four to do this, one of three to do that, uh, whether it be yards, efficiency, uh, Turnover to t- over to interception ratio, like anything that is a positive stat. C.J. Stroud is, you know, top four, one, one of four, one of five um, to ever do it in the history of the game, and so that opens up a lot of doors and a lot of access points if you're the Houston Texans in terms of offensive availability. Because one thing that'll slow down an offensive coordinator when he has a rookie quarterback is the fact that he feels like he has to spoon feed him. He has to take so much off his plate. Like, yeah, the, the play can look super conf, complicated, but he's only ever looking to the left. Um, he's reading boom, boom, boom. You know, he's never making full free full field reads. The OC feels like he has to do everything for the quarterback in order to be successful. Which takes out a lot of our switch combo routes. Takes out a lot of different things that you want to really get exotic with as a pass coordinator. Or even as an offensive coordinator in you know, general with a running game. Because if something can look past and no one respects the pass, they're blitzing anyway. And so now usually if you're making something look pass you're not particularly blocking all that well downfield if you're trying to make something look like a pass. Um and so um that Houston Texans offense is very capable in the hands of CJ Stroud. Kenny uh, Pickett suffered an injury in this game, he probably does not play this week, you know, against the Ravens. Um you know, TJ would was neutralized for the most part. CJ Stroud just looked good, poison and poised one one more time, you know. I believe in him in the draft. I'm going to still believe in him. I have no reason not to. Baker Mayfield made me eat a little crow last week. Um, I pretty much picked the Saints in my lock of the week for Jack's Pack. We'll talk about that. Um, I haven't seen the Jack's Pack segment. But I pretty much said Baker starting to get expectations. He's bound to mess it up. Now, now, now. Just like the Cowboys have their little issue with Stephen A. Smith, and every time they're successful... People tagged Stephen A. Smith like crazy and all this other stuff related to the fact that he said that the Cowboys are accident waiting to happen, and whenever you least expect it, they mess it up. I'm, I'm, I'm not in the boat of every single time Baker has a good game for people to just be talking about. Oh, Baker Mayfield played a great game. Um, you know, I thought he was gonna disappoint us. He will. Because he's gonna grow in the expectations. See, what I didn't expect was for so many people to have a level head about Baker. Baker, Johnny, Tebow. Three people people just generally don't have a level head about. Um, and so I didn't expect such a calm, cool, um, level headed, general consensus about Baker. I thought the second he got hot and started winning games, they'd be trying to throw him in the MVP race and Baker's back and all this other stuff. Maybe because I don't want to skip Baker's, but I just knew that, you know, they were going to have this loud consensus of just, he's amazing and I don't have to be the voice of reason. Turns out I may mean, have been a little harsh. I and mean, people here are very anti Baker. Just looking over social media, you know, he's not winning many people over. Uh, Tampa fans are even still struggling to embrace him, but he's starting to cook a little bit. That's two games in a row. He played really well. He was efficient. He had some touchdown drives. Yeah, he did some great stuff on the field in New Orleans. Uh, a place Tom Brady struggled to win at. I think Brady already won one game in New Orleans during his time as a New Orleans Saint. I mean, Bay Buccaneer, rather. And that was that playoff game, like I said, to launch him to a Super Bowl. But, you know, Baker's already went into New Orleans and won. And it wasn't the easiest game ever. He had to fight a little bit, had to battle a little bit. It wasn't like it was just an absolute cakewalk. He's already gone into New Orleans. And got a no victory. So, kudos to Becca Mayfield. I give credit where credit is due. But don't worry. This woman's coming. It always does. Joe Burrow is on one leg. Um, have, Got thrashed pretty good by Tennessee. Um, And really had to suffer because he just couldn't move. You know, you know certain passes that they just couldn't call and curtain concepts. Because he either can't drive off the leg. Or he's got to roll out and all this other stuff. So, they have uh, been just leaving him in the middle of the pocket. Which is making it easy for a defensive lineman To just tee off at the exact same angle um, And so The Bengals are absolutely struggling Joe Burrow is struggling even worse The offensive coaching staff has to help him out In some shape or fashion um, I was telling several of my friends there uh, That the offensive staff Has just not helped Joe Burrow Here in this situation You knew he was going to be injured Coming into the season you should have had an offense ready to go uh, There's some semblance of it ready to go For Joe Burrow, in any event, he came back early. I said earlier, I give credit where credit is due. And I'm giving credit to Zach Wilson. He played a hell of a ball game against the Kansas City Chiefs, especially after that first drive. He played wonderfully. Um, And then, well, Zach Wilson did. Um, Just a very routine situation. He snaps the ball and begins to look at his receivers and who's covered where. And the ball hits him in the hands, and it ends up on the ground. And in the hands of the New England Patriots, all but ending that game. Um, And so, and then Zach's on the sideline, growing up a little bit, taking accountability, saying it was his fault for losing the game, which, man, it really was. Um, And so, that was huge for Zach Wilson in terms of, development and growth, but it also showed again Zach, you're just not that guy. Um but you'd be one hell of a backup though. you're just not that guy. Um and then lastly uh, you know I'm gonna have to take Justin Fields out of this. Uh, Justin Fields, Mac Jones and Daniel Jones look like quarterbacks playing on borrowed time. Daniel Jones signed a four-year $160 million contract but only 80 of it was guaranteed I think 45 or 50 of it was paid this year. So, you know, he, um, it's just, you know, Dan Jones just felt the same problem. The best attribute of playing quarterback is their feet and when they're not throwing the ball. Mac Jones has that similar problem except the fact he can't run. Um, for some reason, Mac has gotten into fading away when he throws the ball and also scrambling way more than he probably ever has in his life, um, Daniel Jones' issue that he's just not good at football and um, Justin Fields is all the talent in the world it's just something's going on in Chicago it's just not conducive to winning uh, the LHC 5 Lovey Smith they have been an absolutely horrible football team so maybe that could be something to do with it I don't know some hoodoo voodoo stuff's gone down I have no idea but up next we're going to shift to the NFL week 5 and talk about what's going down there Back into the show, and now we're going to jump into NFL week five. Oh, uh, that first A block segment, excuse me, was a little long winded, uh, so we're going to try and shorten these other segments uh, to keep you guys under the 45 minutes to an hour time that you guys are used to the show. You know, so, how we're going to do the second segment is like always, I'm going to talk about some games. If they're in Jack's pack, I won't pick them, if they're not in Jack's pack, then I will uh, obviously go ahead and pick them in case you guys want to tease these in for money lines or whatever. But the first game we're going to talk about is the Nat Hackett Bowl um, Jets versus Broncos. Um, this is coming off. Both teams are struggling. The Broncos are, what, two and two, I think. Uh, maybe they're one and three. And then the Jets are one and three. Uh, so you're looking at two franchises that are both struggling, two proud older franchises both have Super Bowls under their belt the Broncos have two with Elway the Jets have one with Namath um you're looking at two pro franchises who have some very close-knit history over the past 12 months so Nathaniel Hackett was the head coach of the Denver Broncos last year the team was kind of a mess and by kind of I mean really a mess um and so they fired Nat Hackett 12-13 games into the season um you know, he hired a game man, a clock game management coach, a clock management coach, whatever. Like two, three games in, uh, his defense was pretty good, but his offense was a joke with Russell Wilson. It was so bad, people questioned if Russell Wilson even could play football anymore. Uh, he was somebody that was the worst contract in the history of the league because they were. Um, oh my! DJ Moore is going bonkers right now. Wow. Um. Holy moly uh, That's his second touchdown of the night Kudos DJ Moore um, But That's a beautiful throw Beautiful catch Both feet Yes That's a touchdown Holy macro! What a catch Um he threw a fade route on That's ridiculous Kendall Fuller was 7 yards back That's going to be on Justin Sports social media In case you're interested Kendall Fuller was 7 yards back And got beat on a fade ball Because DJ Moore ate the space up Created the gap to the sideline And then ran the fade That is an all time route um, Wow that is an all time route That is actually ridiculous Um, By DJ Moore all time catch. I um yeah, that would be all over Justin Townsport for social media. Don't worry. Don't don't worry at all. But that's what I was saying. So the thing I had, they end up firing them 12 games in. Um uh, and then ownership changes out or ownership changes out and they fired and the thing I had, It was a weird situation. They fired him, moved on, GM gets swapped out, whatever. And so they go and they pay Sean Payton a whole bunch of money to come in and effectively your job is to fix Russell Wilson. Because they looked around him and they said, okay, if Russell Wilson's good, um, if Russell Wilson's good, then we know for a fact that, um, that we'll be all right because we have this defense going and, you know, Russell Wilson's good. And then Sean Payton came in with fire and brimstone saying that, oh, this is the worst coaching job in the history of football when Nathaniel Hackett did and everything that I heard they did. We're going to do the opposite and we're not going to have that stuff. And then he came in sounding ultra determined to have Russell Wilson not be Russell Wilson. Um, He was saying that he told, he's told Russell, you know, stop kissing babies. You're not running for office and um, all this other stuff. It was just like he wanted to come in and flip the entire organization on his head. And I think he actually accomplished that. Um, I think he actually accomplished the fact that he flipped the entire organization on his head. I just think that it ended up being in a negative way. And I think they have to get used to it. I'm not one of those people that say fire Sean Payton or get rid of Sean Payton. He doesn't know what he's doing. I think Russell Wilson has to get used to Sean Payton again. Because he went from a non-QB friendly coach to uh, to a really, really, really friendly QB coach to a kind of friendly QB coach in Sean Payton. He's friendly as long as you do what he wants you to do. Um, and then, you know, but he's trying to flip everything on his head, so he's not really that friendly. It's just, it was bad. And so a lot of the players from the Broncos, some of the players from the Broncos end up going to the Jets with Nathaniel Hackett. And so a couple of the players, I believe Garrett Bowler is one of those guys who is, uh, who's different. Who went from the Broncos to the Jets? He's like, people are tired of Nat Hackett getting disrespected. They want to win this game for Nat Hackett. Um, so it's like the Nat Hackett Bowl is going to be a very interesting um, ball game. I think. I do think the Broncos win it. I think that Russell Wilson is better than Zach Wilson. Um, and their teams oddly kind of mirror each other in a lot of different ways. Um, Past 13, it's a sauce gardener. Um, you know, the uh Broncos have a good a good ish offensive a solid offensive line nothing crazy but a solid offensive line um the Jets all the line is solid in spots um both run games are hit or miss um you know both head coaches Sean's and Sean's not proven without Drew Brees Sala's not proven at all you know it's kinda it kind of fits both teams align pretty closely to each other Um, And so it's going to be a very interesting football game. Obviously, this game was a lot more marquee when they thought it would be Russell Wilson versus Aaron Rodgers. But it is still going to be a very interesting football game uh, between the Jets and the Broncos. I just think the gap between Russell Wilson and Zach Wilson is too big for the Jets to make up. Um, The Cincinnati Bengals are playing the Arizona Cardinals. And what makes this game interesting, I think the Bengals are going to win. But what makes this game interesting was Joe Burrow came out and said they need this win for morale. Um, and that's an incredibly interesting use of language because it's rare you see an NFL quarterback, especially one as successful as Joe Burrow. And as recently, I mean, he started, what, four years? Hurt year one. And then the three years that since, he's two AFC title games and a Super Bowl appearance. I mean, you tend, you tend to not, um... To hear them say stuff like morale, because usually morale for them is high. You know they're they're winning. Joe Burrow just became the highest paid player in NFL history, Um, and so usually morale isn't an issue. Um, But he spoke about the fact that it's good for team morale because you go one and four, you're staring up at the playoffs from a position that is very untenable. Um, And what I mean by untenable is you just that's that's a spot you're not going to make the playoffs. You'd have to go take five games out. You probably need ten wins to get in the playoffs. You have to go after going one and four. You have to turn around and go nine and four, um, or nine and three to get into the playoffs with ten wins. And that's if the if ten wins gets you in, which it usually does. But if you start off one and four, you have to go nine and three to get ten wins to get in the playoffs. Um, if you start off two and three, you only get you got to go eight and four, and that's a lot more manageable uh, to do, especially for a good team. Uh, Joe Burrow is nursing a, a calf injury, and I got into an argument with friends of mine today about this. Joe Burrow is playing on one leg, and the first week of playing on the one leg, the team decided to drop back fifty-five times, fifty-four times. Th- those dropbacks have decreased, but he's a single-read quarterback. Everyone's sending pressure. He can't really move. Joe Burrow's big thing was he could beat the blitz. Was that he was standing there tough take that extra wiggle to the left or wiggle to the right, wiggle backwards and fire the ball across, and he's killing you against the blitz. So you better not blitz him. But now he can't move. And because they're sending 7v5, 6v5, he can't dodge it. Outside his offensive line already being porous, now he can't dodge the blitz. It's just it's killing the, the passing game because they're making him a single-re quarterback. If whatever, the, if whatever the primary route is isn't wide open, or open up, he could throw the ball, um, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a bad play for the Bengals and Tennessee did a really good job of sending a bunch of pressure and jamming the receivers. So that way it took an extra half a second to a full second to get into these routes that gives the pass rush, another half second, full second to affect Burrow, who knows I kind of have to fade this ball away because I can't step into it. Um, and so that just changed the way the game was played for the Bengals. I think once Joe Burrow, if he gets healthy this season, gets healthy, they're gonna roll. I just wonder if it's gonna be too late, because uh, even the run game is not working because everyone's blitzing so much. You Knowing Burrow can't kill them on the blitz, that there's stuff in the run game by default. Um, and so, actually, I just hope Burrow can get healthy to give his guys a shot um, at being successful this season. But in their game versus the Cardinals, I do pick them to win. Um, in a game of interesting young quarterbacks, Falcons versus Texas, Desmond Ritter versus C.J. Stroud, this is going to be an opportunity for the world to see C.J. Stroud. Um, and if you watch Texas football, you know he's playing really, really well. Um, but I think this is a way for him to continue to play really well. Atlanta's got a good pass rush, and they also have a good run game on their side too in Atlanta. So the game's going to be a little shorter than Stroud's used to working with. He may not have that Last two possessions used to have in terms of the possession count because Bijan Robinson runs the air out of the ball. Um, Desmond Ritter has an opportunity against a okay Houston Texans defense to really showcase what he can do. But to me, this is an opportunity for uh, for CJ Stroud to kind of start to separate himself from the young from that generation of young quarterbacks. From him, Jordan Love, Caleb um, Williams is coming in. hand is not far behind. Um, Drake May. Uh, Sam Howell, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, like, make it to where it's C.J. Stroud and Trevor Lawrence as far as that's that's the group. Those are the kings of the group, and then, of course, Kayla Williams is coming. So those are the kings of the group. Us, two, three, I think should do a chance to get that mix. Four pull away from the rest of the young guys uh, in our age group. And so, I think what we're seeing right now is C.J. Stroud really showing what I thought he would be, which to me he should have been the number one pick. Um, and I spoke about it in the draft. You're asking him, and he's already been hurt. You're asking Bryce Young to be one of you. you asking Bryce Young to be two of one. He's smaller. He's not overly athletic. His arm's not that strong. His main thing is the fact that he's accurate, and he's kind of skinny. So injuries and hits and stuff are going to pile up. He's already been injured. and missed the game his rookie year. CJ so Stroud standing back there tall and dicing people apart. Um, and so I said Strauss should have been the one picked the Carolina. Uh, but he's in Houston, and so him versus Trevor Lawrence would be a very lovely battle for the next uh, 10 years. As for the game, I do have the Houston Texans winning uh, by about a touchdown. Uh, they have the Houston Texans winning. And the big game of the week, Cowboys versus Niners. Uh, this game could be an NFC title game preview. Uh, this game could decide, to me, who later who wins the Super Bowl. And I think this game could decide home field in the playoffs. I think their wins are going to be pretty close. I think I predicted them to be one game apart in the win column. If it comes down to them, again, one game apart, you know, if they're tied record, San Fran gets it. This could be a situation where if Dallas, if one of them flips the game, the other one gets home field. I mean, it, to me, it's going to be a tight race between the two of them for home field. Of course, Phillies in that mix as well. Oh, uh, but it is going to be a game where even if they meet in the in the semifinals, you know, um, where, I mean, the, conference semifinals I guess um, the second round of the playoffs and the games in San Fran instead of in Dallas because San Fran won the game and Dallas didn't uh, when they played head to head so incredibly interesting game this is going to be an absolute war of a game, physical kind of game um, I think we're going to see San Fran's glory on full display Dallas doesn't like going sideline to sideline, um, especially if they go at Michael Parsons directly they don't like going sideline to sideline they prefer to try to keep things in a phone booth. And so uh, Kyle Shanahan going sideline to sideline with C-Mac and the rest of that crew um, and Long and Brock Purdy just popping passes through there efficiently and accurately. It's going to be a very interesting contest. However, Niners don't like going sideline to sideline either. And Dallas kind of picks at the sideline with their passing game, with your C.D. Lambs, with your Brandon Cooks, um, with the tight ends. I can't think. I think it's Dalton Schultz. Uh, they pick at the sideline going east and west with the pass game. Of course, Tony Pollard can run a stretch. Deuce Vaughn can get on the outside as well. Um, and I just think that the Niners are going to be just a little too strong for them. Thinking in my head, they're going to run a lot of stretch left probably. And Micah Parsons getting blocked by Trent Williams completely neutralizes Micah Parsons, especially in the run game. And so I think that'd be too much to overcome. And ultimately, um, the... Niners get that game by about six points. I think it'll be something like uh, 30-24, somewhere in there. But up next, we're going to shift to our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Following two, okay, I'll be honest, long-winded segments, our A-block and our B-block, we are jumping into our C-block, which is our NFL betting segment, our still successful NFL betting segment, Jack's pack. Last week, we had our first losing week of the season. took us a month, and we went two and three. We even lost our lock of the week, um, which the Saints, again, getting smoked by the Buccaneers, cost us our lock of the week and cost us our positive win streak as well. So last week we went 2-3, and three, which brings our overall record to 11-9, which is 55% still in that professional gambler range. Um, and then I lost a 3-1. and one. Um, So, again, we're 11-9 overall. So if you've bet with me, one unit bet standard one unit bets, you are positive right now if you bet each individual game. If you have not done that, put some parlays, you're in the hole. Um, if you've picked and choose your own bets, you might be in the hole as well. But if you were with me strictly doing one unit bets five dollars here ten dollars there, but if you're if you're a hundred dollar person hundred dollars on five different you games, you'd be positive right now. Um, you'd be you be in the profits. But let's jump right into this. We're gonna start off with our lock of the week: uh, Saints at Pats. The game is a pick 'em. I've got the Patriots winning the game. It means more to New England. Uh, Robert Kraft is coming to practice. Bill Belichick wants to get to the wins record for, uh, with Don Shula. He knows he's going to need at least another year to get it done. Uh, Mac Jones, to me, is playing for his job. I believe he has to go out of New England. I, just, I didn't see him before the draft. I kind of tricked myself into his rookie year, and then all the blinders came off his sophomore year. Now, I just don't think that uh, he has enough to get it done. Now, now I will say that he didn't have Matt Patricia last year. And I was sitting on my parents' couch and I was saying, man, I think Matt Patricia may have done irreparable harm um, to Mac Jones' development because he had a dead ear. It was just bad language, bad spacing, bad routes, throwing them in, getting them killed left and right, screen passes 12 times a game, an offense nobody believes in. It was just rough. So maybe Matt Patricia did irreparable harm to Mac Jones. I don't know. We'll never know. However, Mac Jones needs to go. And Bill Belichick needs to be evaluated. Now, I'm not saying Bill Belichick needs to be faded. I know how the Patriot organization works. Bill Belichick is the director of operations. He is the football operations building. He's a GM. He's a head scout. He handles all the scouting exclusively after the Super Bowl. Um, for that current draft class, he makes the decision solely. You know, he shots for the groceries, makes the groceries, uh, plants the seed. Like, it's all him on the football operations side. One of the things why Robert Kyra's been so hesitant to relieve him of his duties because you'd have to rebuild the entire football operations side of the organization. Now, I do think a couple years ago they were in a good spot to transition. Josh McDaniel was the coaching waiting, and Nick Cesario was like the highest you can be in a patriot organization without being GM. And so I think if this kind of season happens two, three years ago, they may transition then. Cesario is the GM. Josh McDaniels the head coach, and they're figuring this thing out together in New England. But it did not happen that way, uh, and so he is still there. But regardless of that, I have the New England Patriots um, defeating the New Orleans Saints in a pickle. Second game is Ravens minus four and a half at the Steelers. Take the Ravens. No Kenny Pickett, big problem for Pittsburgh, especially with Matt Canada as your OC. Uh, I think Lamar is hot this week, puts up right around thirty points. There were 28, 27 points, uh, which means the Steelers have to get to 24 points or 23 points for me to not win the bet. Um, no, 24 points. Nope, 23 points for me to not win. Um, and so I just don't think the Steelers get there with Kenny Pickett, but definitely without Kenny Pickett. So take the Ravens, minus four and a half. Packers, plus one at the Raiders. Take the Packers, even in the money line. The Packers win this game alright. Which the only way, you know, there's only one number left. That's zero. They'd have to tie. I don't know if you do not get this. So in order to win a plus one, you gotta win the game. And I just think they win the game straight up. Um I don't think it's particularly close. 27-14, somewhere in there. Uh, feel out like the final score for Packers and Raiders. Uh, but I've got the Raiders winning that game straight up on the money line. So, of course, I have them covering the plus one they have against the Raiders. And lastly, but certainly not least, Texans plus one and a half at the Falcons. This is Vegas telling you Texans are the better team. Home team gets plus three in the math. This is, and if you see a spread, anything smaller than plus three, um, for a home team or a minus three for a home team then that's Vegas telling you they're not really that good the fact is point spread is one Vegas telling you Atlanta's not that good Houston should win the game I'm gonna pick Houston there or point spread one and a half I'm sorry I'm gonna pick Houston there to cover that one and a half and to win the game on the money line so that means number one so I lock it the week it's Pats uh, over the Saints number two uh, Ravens minus four and a half over the Steelers number three Packers plus one over the Raiders Number four, Dolphins minus 12 and a half over the Giants. Did I discuss that game? Maybe I didn't. That's a really big number, and I think I remember that. Sorry, I skipped the Giants and the Dolphins. My apologies. Um, so I will take the Dolphins to absolutely annihilate the Giants. I don't see the Giants scoring more than 13 points. I don't see the Dolphins scoring less than 35. Um, so 12 and a half points is just easy work for the Dolphins, in my opinion. It's only two touchdowns. That's... You know, that's only two touchdowns. I think that the Dolphins win that game uh, pretty comfortably and cover the bet. So I guess go back to the top. Lock of the week, Pats over the Saints. Um, Then Ravens minus four and a half at the Steelers. Packers plus one at the Raiders. Dolphins minus seven and a half over the Giants. And then Texans plus one and a half over the Falcons. Uh, Up next, we're going to shift into the WNBA and talk about what's going down there. On of all WNBA fans, welcome to the Bay Area. into the WNBA as the WNBA has officially announced the expansion of the league. Uh, it's the first of two expected expansions this offseason. Um, they have officially announced that the Golden State Warriors ownership group, uh, led by Joe Lacob, um, and then the other guy whose name escapes me right now, uh, they are bringing in a Bay Area um, Golden State um, WNBA franchise to begin to play in the Chase Center in 2025. Um, again, this is the first of these expected expansions as Portland is expected to bring their WNBA franchise back uh, as Portland had one previously, but they expected to bring a WNBA franchise back into Portland, into the greater Northwest. Uh, obviously, to compete with Seattle for market share, but uh, Portland had a team... Um, Previously in the WNBA that folded, unfortunately. Like I spoke about before, a lot of these owners and the original W owners were poor owners. Um, They didn't see the bigger picture of the league. They saw, like most people, dollars and cents. Um, But these new owners are coming in knowing that the league is growing, knowing that they have an opportunity to be with something much bigger than them, and they have the chance to really grow. And to uh, blossom the league. Because the owners, the Warriors ownership group, or the Golden State ownership group, stated that they're not only there to win, they're there to, to, to basically, when basketball is hot, we're going to join the wave, we're going to make this thing hotter. Uh, and so they're going to have a huge influx of superstar talent. Um, coming in obviously, with your Caitlin Clarks, your Haley Van Lifts, your Aja Reese's, um, et cetera, your Paige Beckers uh, coming into the league. That's going to elevate it, of course, and then you get owners who, like the Warriors owners, trying to be innovative and creative and have as many um, unforgettable moments in the W as humanly possible. So um, I'm a huge fan, uh, obviously, of the expansion taking place, especially with who's getting the expansion. Which is the Golden State Ownership Group, one of the model. Ownership groups in the NBA, not into the WNBA. Um, And so huge news for the W. And then, of course, the WNBA finals begin Sunday between the two teams that I told you before the season started were on a crash collision course barring injury from playing in the WNBA finals. Now, Vegas ends up losing Candace Parker to like a knee issue. Um, And so she never even really contributes to them, especially down the stretch. Um, and so that is, this is going to be an absolute war between Liberty and the Aces. Um, like I spoke about last week, the Liberty is the WNBA's last hope. Very, um, uh, Leo, uh, New York Liberty, you're our last hope because if Vegas wins again, they're probably going to go back to back to back. Um, uh, now again, basketball is grown off dynasties, but if you don't want to see a dynasty, the Liberty is your last hope. The Aces have lost six games all season. Three of them are to New York. Um, and so they are the best team set to take down the Las Vegas Aces. I just think the Aces get it done. I do. I just think the Aces get it done, man. I, I, it's going to take a five game series. That last game's in Vegas. And I just think the Aces get it done and hoist their second WNBA trophy in a row. Um, that's just how I feel. I, I haven't seen anything to really dissuade that Um, but I just think that the Aces ultimately are holding the pose and holding the trophy but up next we're going to go into Jack's hot take which is going to be why the Bucks are still better than Boston Welcome into the show And now we're going to discuss Jack's hot take Which is that the Milwaukee Bucks are still better than the Boston Celtics Hear me out, Boston fans I know you're having a great crowd of calling you Boston haters from of that nature, I don't know And personally, I don't care The Bucks are still better than you Want to know why? This offseason, you've you moved Grant Williams Albert Williams As two people, that was really good depth at guarding Giannis I get it Drew holidays there to clamp up Dame Lillard. Totally understand. The Finals MVP and the MVP of the league is not Dame Lillard. It's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Currently, there's nobody in the state of Massachusetts that can legitimately body up and guard Giannis Antetokounmpo because Espozinga is too skinny and too frail. Al Horford is too old or too slow. Jay Carter too little. Like, it, <sighs> There's no one left to body up Giannis, to physically get in there with Giannis Bang with them, lean on them, wear them down. There's no one left. So yes, you've solved your Dame the launch problem, which is, is that fact that it's Drew Holiday and not who knows where. Um, but Boston's a better team than they were two months ago. I think Porzingis and Drew Holiday make them a much better football team. Um, I'm sorry, basketball team, rather. I apologize Watching watching Thursday night football. Oh, I think much better basketball team. I just think that the upgrades of Dame Lillard. It's just you put Giannis Antetokounmpo, who I think is the best player in the world, him and Jokic. Dame Lillard's a top fifteen player in the world, and you just you just put those two in there together. Like Dame said, the pick and roll is going to be deadly. Either you let Giannis dunk you like crazy and you trap him, or you say you keep falling back into Giannis and he makes nine threes on you. Uh, absolutely hellacious kind of decisions that uh, coaches are going to have to make when it comes to Dame and Giannis But that is all I have for today. Uh, I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. I hope you guys enjoy yourself, have enjoyed the pod. If you have, or even if you haven't, leave a comment, like, rate, and subscribe. If you have. Um, and if uh, you have your favorite social medias handy, type in the handle at jtimesports, I repeat, at J-time Sports for all your updates, breaking news, and coverage. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. This is your host, Jeff Jackson, signing out.